0: Um, Welcome, Uh, my name is AJ. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New City, and so thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, If this is your first time, I am so excited that you are here. Um, Man, this is a great time to jump in and see what God's doing here at New City. That is not because I am up here uh, this morning, uh, but because God is moving. I just need to make sure that's clear, okay? But I'm excited because we're jumping in. We're only in week two uh, of our fall series. We're walking through the book of Joshua, Uh, And we're seeing God just do impossible things as we walk through that book. And so I'm excited for you to jump in with us here. Um, Man, I I get the privilege of coming up and doing announcements every now and then here at New City. I love a good announcement. All right, and so I have two quick ones for you. Uh, First and foremost, I have to say happy birthday to my wonderful wife, Jordan. All right, so she is Uh, Man, she is awesome. She's home taking care of our sick kids uh, and so that I can be here. And so thank you, uh, sweetheart, for that. I love you, Grayson and Thomas. Hello. All right. Now on to another announcement that I'm happy to share with you. Uh, Last Sunday night, we kicked off New City students and we had a blast. Y'all, it was so much fun. We opened up God's word. We prayed for one another. We played games. I dunked on middle school and high schoolers. All right. It was great. Uh, I do have to admit, I did not win the game of knockout, okay? But I'm not bitter, we're just gonna jump into God's word, okay? All right, we're good, we're good. All right, so in that though, uh, what I'm excited about is to jump into Joshua chapter two today. Uh, It's going to be, I I hope that this is a blessing to you as we unpack God's word. Um, I've shared with you all a few times. I like movies. I feel like Joshua chapter two is like a movie. We have spies. We got spies being hid. We've got good spies. We've got people chasing these spies. uh, We've got people being let out of windows. I mean, it's crazy. All right. I love the, what's happening in Joshua two. But as I was reading and uh, others kind of pointed this out to me was I found it really fascinating that it's like Joshua two is uh, the people of God, Israel going into the promised land. Joshua two doesn't necessarily move that plot further along. And I found it like, man, it's moving along uh, very slightly where you could go from Joshua one to Joshua three, and you're not really miss much in that. And so I began to ask that, why did God put Joshua two in there today? if it didn't move that plot a And I think one of the things that we have to ask ourselves this question sometimes is God's going to reveal something about himself in this as so I'm excited to jump into this and really begin to see a beautiful picture of the heart of God. Because what today, as we look at Joshua two, um, we get to see and begin to answer some questions because I don't know where you came in this morning, but maybe you feel out of the reach of God. Maybe you're at that point and you're like, man, where is my, what am I doing with my life? Like maybe my life's just off the rails right now. Or maybe you're just thinking here this morning your story doesn't matter. Maybe you're in that moment, you're like, Man, I don't know what's going on with my life. Does it even matter in this moment? Is God even looking for me? Or maybe you're there and you're, you're, you're opening up God's word and you're just trying to discern what is God calling you to in your life? How do I respond to God's word? How do I respond to what he's doing around me? And then maybe we're just asking, how do we live our life? How do we live out the life of faith that God called us to? And so we're gonna, I'm gonna take, you know, you know about two hours, we're gonna unpack all of that. Not really two hours, okay? All right, some people were like, let's go. I'm like, oh man, don't give me that, okay? But one of the things, one of the overarching things that we're even gonna look at this morning and throughout Joshua is remembering that God is the God of the impossible. Or what seems impossible uh, is not impossible to God. Uh, last week, everybody got one of these on your chairs. If you weren't here last week or you uh, dropped yours, we have some at our next steps table. And we're just, man, we're praying earnestly as we walk through the book of Joshua, believing that God can do these types of things, that he can restore any area of our lives. He can restore relationships. He can restore brokenness, that he can defeat God, the sin that is in our lives, the destructive patterns that we have, we're praying that God defeats those and we're praying for God to save those in our lives who are far from Him. We want Him to bring them into a saving relationship with Him. And so with that in mind, like God doing the impossible, we're gonna see that even today. Because I'm convinced um, that man, God's still doing a mighty work. He's the same God as He is in Joshua. Uh, he's the same God here today. He does what's impossible to man, but nothing is impossible for God. And so with that today, I want to go ahead and jump into our text and see what God has in store for us. And so as you either open up your Bibles or turn them on to Joshua 2, all right, uh, this is how we're going to spend our time together. We're going to walk through uh, the chapter and I'm going to stop along the way and share some thoughts. Okay, we're going to do that. And then at the second half of our time, I'm going to share four thoughts on faith that I see come out of our passage today. All right, so we're going to have a little bit of teaching time. We're going to interact with the text for a little bit, and then we're going to jump to four thoughts on faith. But throughout the big overarching thread of our Joshua series is God of the impossible. Our time today, our main idea is going to be that we're going to see that God is constantly pursuing his people. That God is just constantly pursuing his people. And we're going to see that fleshed out during our time today. And so let's pick up Joshua in chapter 2. And we're going to start just right in verse 1. All right. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. All right, so we're just gonna go ahead and stop because we got to get some context around what's happening here. Okay. All right. Reminder, Joshua is the new leader of Israel. Moses has died. Joshua has stepped up. God's appointed him to lead his chosen people into the promised land that they've been wandering in the desert 40 years to get to. And God even told Joshua that wherever his foot landed, he would give him that land. He called Joshua to be strong and courageous, not in and of himself, but because God has promised to be with him wherever he went. And so God has set the stage for Joshua. He's like, you, you've got it, be strong and courageous, be very courageous. He says, take the promised land. And we see in the second half of chapter one that Joshua is rallying the troops. He's going around saying, you got three days, let's go. We're about to roll in and take this. All right, let's get it going. We see in verse 16 of chapter one, it says, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. And so the nation, man, they are ready. They got, they're geared up like, let's do this. All right, here we go. And with that confidence, Joshua, the son of none does what? He secretly sends two spies. You're like, man, that, that's not like compute. And I was like, let's go. And he was like, hey, hey, you guys over here, why don't you slide up there and see what it looks like? Okay, that's what, that's what we're seeing. And so how do we even from the jump figure that out? And so you can think like Joshua, you of little faith. Why are you like sending people into the land just to see what it looks like? Are you trying to figure out, can you do this on your own? Like what's going on? Like we can think about that. You can see it and I, I, I see how we can get to that view. But what I see happening here is Joshua is using his brain. God has given him a brain. He's using it, all right? He's given his people three days to get ready. All right, he's got to mobilize everybody. And so he's using his brain and he remembers what he saw when he first went as a spy 40 years ago. We know this from uh, numbers and it tells us that when he went to the land, though it's flowing with milk and honey and fruit, there's also some really big people there. And they have very large fortified cities. And I'm imagining my boy Joshua sitting there like, I wonder if they still like that. All right, let's just like send some spies. Let's, Let's use our brain and begin to create a plan because God called him to take the land. We can know that but he did not say that he was just gonna walk in and they were gonna hand him the keys. All right, he was gonna to have to go in and take this land. And so he's trying to use his brain about how he was gonna do that. Because Joshua knew what God had called him to do. He'd called him to be strong and courageous, and he was doing that, I believe, by getting ready. He was saying, all right, let's step into this and be ready. And so, if that wasn't interesting enough in part one, in verse one, let's move to something even more interesting in verse one. All right. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Y'all, I'm just going to be really honest. I am so thankful that there are people smarter than me out there. All right. I know they are. All right. I'm really thankful for commentaries, for smart brothers and sisters in the faith. All right. And so what we know from our story, we're going to look at this a little bit later, is in verse 15, is that Rahab's place was built into the city wall. And so how do we begin to think about this? I think the spies we don't know if they've ever been spies before we're going to see in just a moment they weren't very good so i think they were like trying to stay near the city wall i think they were trying to stay in a shadier part of town where people aren't trying to look at each other's faces they're just kind of heads down trying to figure out like is this a place we can come get into okay they're not um they're trying not to stand out and so they enter rahab's house why verse 1 tells us for lodging and i'm covering presumably that's just what we see and so i'm not going to read any more into the text here And so we see later that God was already at work in this particular place in Jericho. And so he has brought them to this place because he has orchestrated something beautiful to happen. And so I told you they weren't very good spies because in verse two, we already know they're found out. And so it's nighttime, the spies are found out. The king of Jericho, you kind of read that like a mayor of a large city type deal. He was not happy. Look with me at verse three. It says, the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. I told you they weren't good, y'all. He like knows where they're at. Their location is found. Game over. Maybe. All right. Just maybe. All right. So let's keep reading. Verse four through seven. It says, but the woman, this is Rahab speaking, had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went, pursue them quickly for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So apparently what we got is Rahab hiding these two spies from Israel. We don't know why yet from our text, but we're about to get there really quickly. And so she she proceeds to lie to the king's men. She's protecting these men. She points them towards the gate, tells the soldiers, like, hey, y'all need to get up and go. They're out of here. And what do they do? I don't know why, but they listen and they just cut. They're just gone. Post-haste, like, here we go. All right. And all the while, I just got to be thinking that these two spies who were already found out, they are sweating under some stalks of flax. All right. They're just up there sweating. Like, what is going on? And so... The question we ask is why in the world would a woman of Jericho hide two spies from Israel? We're about to figure it out. Look with me at verses 8 through 14. It says, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you now then please swear to me that by by the lord that as i have dealt kindly with you you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother my brother and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death and the men said to her our life for yours even to death if you do not tell this business of ours then when the lord gives us the land we will deal kindly and faithfully with you all right that was a big chunk All right, but did you catch what just happened in this chunk of scripture? In the middle of our passage, did you catch what just happened? A prostitute woman living in a pagan land with no teaching on the God of Israel just made a declaration of faith. Y'all, God is doing impossible things. And he is constantly pursuing after his people and he will go to no ends for it. And so I want to spend some time and unpack what just happened here. Because she tells the men of Israel that the Lord has already given them the land, what they were coming to figure out and just to check out. She is affirming what God has already spoken to be true, that he has given them the land and that fear is upon all of its inhabitants who will simply melt away, who are just living in fear at this moment. And so Rahab and the people of the land melt away before the might and power of God not before the nation of israel before the might and power of god and the works of god had gotten to the people far before god's people got to them and when they were met with the reality that god's people was headed their way they began to just fall away they're like losing their minds and nothing's even happened yet before the first feet are placed in the jordan to bring people into the land the hearts of the inhabitants of jericho are melting in fear the agent of that defeat, y'all, is not sword. It is not shield. And this is, it blows my mind. It's the word about what God has already done for his people. That is what has crippled these people in the land of Canaan. This brings to mind Romans eight thirty one, where it says, if God is for us, who could be against us? Like people are melting away and nothing's even happened yet. And then comes a statement from someone, and we hear it from Rahab, who not only fears the works of God, she's been uh, caught in awe of the power of God, but we look at verse 11 again and it says, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. This is important. For the Lord your God, he is God, in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She acknowledges not only God's power, but his majesty. Y'all, this is beautiful what we're seeing unfold. She was living her life in a pagan society, one with no knowledge of God. But just by hearing the recount of his works, what he did when he helped Israel cross the Red Sea, when people would not let them pass into a, a land, they devoted them to destruction It is, she realized that it was God and God alone that reigns in the heavens above and the earth below. Y'all, it was just in this that she began to profess faith in God. If it was just verses 10 and 11, we could chalk it up to just some head knowledge and trying to save her own skin. She could get there, We we could work that. But when we look at the second half of verse 11, we see this statement of faith that some have said would come from a teacher of Israel. Because what happened here is Rahab shifted to what she's confessing, to what even Moses called the nation of Israel to confess in Deuteronomy chapter four. She doesn't have that. She doesn't have that right there, but she confesses what Moses calls them to in Deuteronomy four. He calls the nation of Israel to confess that the God is the God of heaven and earth. There is no other God. That's what he calls them to confess, and Rahab just does that. And so that begins to help us see what, why she did what she did earlier in our chapter. She wasn't just following some culture of hospitality. No, she has switched teams. She is now on team Israel. She's on team God. It's no longer team Jericho. And so we can't miss this crazy impossible seeming thing that happened. A woman who has never interacted with God's people before actually having to hide God's people makes a confession that the God of Israel is the God of heavens and the earth. She believed in God, even before the spies came, but was able to confess it in their presence. There's beauty in that. They're like seeing what God can do. And I'm just convinced that God truly does pursue after his people. And so later in our text that we just read, we see an agreement being made that uh, for between Rahab and the spies and Rahab desires to be saved, um, not only spiritually, but now she's like, I need physical safety because I know what your God's about to do. Uh, And so they, um, when they come and take Jericho, spoiler, it's going to happen. Okay. And so not only that, but her and her family, she's trying to save everybody at this point. All right. And they all agree. And they're both bound by this unless the other side doesn't hold it up. All right, and so we're going to read one more chunk of scripture uh, together. We're going to finish out our passage, and then we're going to begin to unpack kind of four thoughts on faith. Okay, but let's look at the final chunk of our scripture today. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go away go your way. Then the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and you shall gather into your house, your father and your mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on your head, on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So they departed and went to the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned, they came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away before us. Y'all, this is I love this story because just good old Rahab, all right? She just so happened to live in the city wall, all right? That just so happened to have a window that she could just so happen to let down God's people to safety. Yeah, God is good. God is good, let me tell you. He's taking care of his people. And we see even more evidence that she switched teams because not only does she help them get out, she actually teaches these jokers how to be spies. She says, don't go this way, go that way, hide for three days, and then you're gonna be all right. Okay, she is like on team God at this point. And so in order to know that, they're, they're figuring out how are we going to uphold this agreement. They give Rahab a scarlet cord to mark her home. And we're going to come back to that. Don't you worry. All right. And they work out the finer details again and making sure everybody's on the same page. And so they listen. They're able to get back to Joshua. All right. And I can't just imagine they're like rolling up to Joshua and be like, you ain't going to believe what just happened. All right. You ain't going to believe it. But here's the big picture, man. What God has said is true. And then, man, here it is. He has given us this land. He has given us this land. He has already gone before them and prepared the land for them. I just can't imagine. They are so excited at this point because what God has said, they have seen it affirmed. People are melting away. They've already got somebody on their side. They're like, let's do this. All that left now is to be strong and courageous in the Lord and let's go. All right, and so Pastor Eric's going to handle the let's go next week, okay? All right, but in this, what well, we we're going to say, that's our big overview, okay? So I want to take the second half of our time and begin to unpack four thoughts on faith as it relates to Rahab and the faith we see in Joshua 2. And really, even how that speaks to us today. And so the first thing that we're going to see is that faith is costly. Faith is costly. This, this is like really, it's rang true for Rahab. Placing her faith in the God of Israel meant she had to abandon her whole way of life she would lose friends probably some family and she would even lose her livelihood and really she's at this point she is risking her life by being on team israel she is now an enemy of jericho what we just read is that is that rahab committed treason in this moment it was costly for her to make this declaration and to switch teams Following and believing God meant that she couldn't go on living the way she was and therefore would have to sacrifice. She would have to move. She would have to change. And to us, it may not seem costly where we sit today to follow Jesus, to place our trust in the Son of God. And when we really begin to think about it, though, and I want to push us and really encourage us to this today, is that Scripture paints a different picture, a costly decision must be made. We can look at the words of Jesus in Luke 14, where he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and his wife and his children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And I'm sitting there going, Whoa, that seems a little extreme. Like you're you're calling me to hate. And so Jesus isn't really calling us to hate, but what he's saying is you have to love me so much and put me before all other things, that it's going to seem like you hate these people. We're not. We're called to love. We're called to be there and bear with one another's burdens. But in that, the extreme sense of it is that, no, God is calling us to something greater. He's calling us. We can see it in Luke chapter 9, where he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever would ever save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Y'all, what we see in this is that Rahab counted the cost. She did not seek to save her life and try to manipulate something, but she was willing to forgo all that she knew because she knew that God was greater in that moment. And so she she placed her faith in the one who held all power, the one who ruled and reigned in heaven and earth. And so we know Rahab's faith, and I love this, is, I mean, I love this, this is good. We know her faith was genuine because we see her mentioned in the New Testament. It, it wasn't just in this moment. She was mentioned in the New Testament. When the author of Hebrews lays out this, like, we call it, like, the hall of faith. There's this, like, beautiful thing. All these people who had great faith in Scripture. Rahab, the prostitute's name, is mentioned there. Hebrews eleven thirty one. 31. Y'all, it, her faith was counted. She counted the cost of her faith. And today we are now called to do the same. And so the question I have to ask is, do we see Jesus as worthy of giving our life? Do we see it? Are we willing? Are we counting that cost? Is he worthy enough to forsake all things? Because if we think Jesus is just a good moral teacher or He's just a historical figure, I would say that's not worth it. If that's where you land, then you're not going to count the cost and give your life to Christ. But if, if Jesus is the son of God, if what the scripture says is true, that Jesus came down from heaven to live the life we couldn't, die the death we deserved, and then defeated sin and death by rising from the grave three days later, all so that you and I could be welcomed into the family of God, if we believe in him, then if those things are true, then we have to wrestle with the cost because placing our faith in Jesus is a call to lay down our lives daily. There is a moment in where we can profess faith, but each and every day we have the decision, is Jesus worth it? Am I going to honor him today? Am I going to live for him today? Y'all, my prayer and the prayer of your elders here at New City Church is that each and every day you see the beauty and the majesty of Jesus in the gospel, and you just give this like resounding yes. I mean, it's just, you ain't got to say it real loud, but you could. And some days it's going to be harder than others to choose that. But you're seeing, no, he is worth it. You've counted the cost and said, no, Jesus is worth it. He's worth my suffering. He's worth my pain. He's worth all of that because I know who he is and he's worth it. And if you haven't made that decision in your life, I'm I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. Man, it is costly. It is a costly thing that we have to decide. But I would say so is not choosing to follow him. Because in Hebrews 11, where Rahab is commended for her faith, we also see that by trusting in God, she was spared from destruction. It cost her something, but I think it would also cost her something even more. And so the destruction comes to the city of Jericho in Joshua 6. Sorry, like, spoiler alert, okay? Uh, But in that, Rahab's decision to follow God was costly, but so choosing not to would have cost her. And so the same is true for us today. Scripture paints a picture that our sin, our rebellion against God, doing things in our own way, separates us from a holy God. God can't be around it. And for who he is, being this perfect God, he has to punish that sin. He's a just God. And so scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. What our sin earns us is death. And so if we choose to not follow God, that too is costly. And so what we see in our passage today is that Rahab counted the cost and saw God is worthy. And and I invite us to do the same, to count the cost. And do we see God as worthy? But once Rahab had faith, man, we see our second thought of faith, on faith, come into play. And that faith brings about action. Number two, faith brings about action. Y'all, Rahab's faith in God propelled her not just to believe, but to do works for his people and his kingdom. Rahab was not just theoretical in her faith, but she lived it out. She protected God's people. And so I I know, I've read it, I've wrestled with it. What do we do then with Rahab's lie? Now that she's professed faith, what do we do? She's lying in this sense. How do we answer that? And so there's a, we can talk for a while about this. I don't have that kind of time up here. I'd love to talk with you about it, okay? I'm inviting you, I'll, I'll buy you a cup of coffee and we can talk about this. But really quickly, Okay, I need, to, I need to say this because this is an important like point, all right? Lying is never okay as a believer, all right? God is the God of truth in that, and so what we begin to see is that a lie is not from God, and so I'm not con- saying, okay, yeah, you should probably lie. I'm not saying that, all right? But with that said, when I said lying is not okay, all right, as a believer or really as a person, all right, let's, let's just not lie, but in that, we must remember that what we're reading here in Joshua 2 is a narrative. Okay, that's, that's what we're reading. It's telling us what happened, not giving us instructions on how to act in the face of an enemy. Okay, there, there are passages and we can build uh, a wartime ethic out and we can do that. All right, but I don't think this passage is the one that we put all of our like, uh, chips in. And so this passage is descriptive in telling us about Rahab's lie, not prescribing us to do it too. And so in that, this is not a passage, like I said, for wartime ethics, but what I, my hope in, the, in today, and like I said, I'm happy to talk more about this, okay? But my hope is that we don't get snagged on the ethical misstep of Rahab and miss all that was said in the rest of the passage. My, that Rahab wasn't perfect. I, I admit today that I'm not perfect. All right, and I imagine maybe some of y'all aren't perfect. And I am so thankful for grace. I'm thankful for it that in this life, even things didn't play out perfectly, there's the beautiful thing we come and love is that's grace. Did she need to lie? I don't think so, personally. I think God can work in all circumstances and he would have figured out a way. All right, he's the God of the universe. He's sovereign over all things, good and bad. But I want us to take a step back and see what she did in her new faith as like a day-old believer in God, not knowing it all, not knowing how to do everything. What she did was protect God's people in a way that was known to her. She says, I'm for God, I'm for his people, I gotta protect them. And she figured out a way to do that. And so that is what caused writers hundreds of years later to recall her faith to be counted to her as righteousness. It wasn't her actions that made her righteous. Her belief and trusting God did that. But an outworking of her faith was her actions. James 2 shows us that Rahab's faith was seen and justified or affirmed through her works. Not the lying, but taking care of God's people. Imperfect as her works were, they were affirming her faith. James 2 said that if she would have professed faith and not done anything, then that faith would have been useless. And if she had just did the works and had no faith, then that's dead too because you can't earn favor with God. And so in all of this, it's her faith that was counted to her as righteous. And so in Hebrews 11, we see that because of her faith, her allegiance changed and therefore she protected the spies who came to destroy her city, the people she lived with and done life with. Her faith was put on display for us to see and celebrate today. Y'all, the big picture here is that our faith is to be lived out in this way too. We aren't just to profess and go along with our days. However, we want to live them. No, a life lived with, with faith in Jesus looks like, does not look like everyone else in the world. There's a stark distinction. I love how Peter, in uh, the opening of one of his letters, says, no, we are aliens or sojourners. We are not of this world. And so we don't live like we're of this world. I loved how we saw this in the gospel, uh, according to John, where it says, you, you're, you live in the world, not of the world. You are of the world, but not in the world. Somebody help me out here. I'm getting tongue-tied. All right, we're good. Uh, We're we're on the same page. I was like, oh man, we're about to mess this up. But in all of this, how then are we to live? Man, we live by faith and by God's word and what it says. That's how we're called to live, the actions we're supposed to call. We don't sit idly with our faith, but we go and do what God's word commands us to do. Just a few quick things about what he commands us to do. He just calls us to go and love our neighbors as ourselves. We go and just love the people around us with our faith. We go to the nations and we make disciples, not just around the world, but we make disciples here. We build one another up into the maturity of Christ. That's what we're we're called to do with our faith. We're supposed to be living it out. And so as we count the cost and our faith brings about these actions, what we naturally see is number three, that our faith shares with others. I love seeing this in this passage is that Rahab used her faith to secure the safety of her family. Look with me again really quickly at verses 12 through 13 now then please swear to me that by the lord that as i have dealt kindly with you you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother my brother and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death now does her family come to faith i don't know i don't know i'm gonna be really honest with y'all I told y'all there's a lot i don't know okay but her actions don't bring them into the family of god just like having christian parents don't make you a christian but what she did do is she showed her family where her new allegiance now lies. She was showing them that her trust was in God and not in anything else. We know from Joshua 2 and Joshua 6 that when Israel comes and takes Jericho, once again, sorry, spoiler, is that she did, gather, she did gather her family and they were brought to the outside of the camp of Israel. That did happen. And so Rahab knew that it was only God and his people who were able to save her family. And so she continued to display great faith in making them a part of a rescue plan. Do we have that kind of burden today with our faith? Are we wanting that to like share with others? And I'm not, I'm not here to heap like guilt and shame. That's not what I want to do, but I do want to like spur us who believe in Jesus on to action, on to share our faith. It is not to be kept hidden, but to be a light to a dark world. And we're to show people that though their lives may seem filled with all these good things, that they're on the path to destruction if they don't believe in Jesus. If that's not where their hope and their faith lies, man, they're, all, they're just on a path to destruction. I, I think of this like, man, we have this like life-saving medicine. Are we just gonna like sit on our hands? If we could go cure cancer or world hunger, and I, I hope that those things happen. But if I was just sitting on that, Like, who would do that? Like, why would we want people to hurt and be lost and and for loved ones to be gone? All these different things, why would we do that? And I'm all for physical medicine in that. Like, man, I wanna see those things happen. But in an even greater sense, and this is just where I've come to land, is that we have something that every single person, every soul on this planet longs for. Y'all, we found the answer that everybody's looking for. That answer is found in Jesus. He says, he's the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. Do we believe that? We know where life is found. We understand that we were created for something and someone much greater than ourselves. And one of the prayers that I have for us is that we're not lulled to sleep, New City, but that we are a missionally urgent people who strive and pray for Jesus to change lives around us and around the world. I don't want us to be lulled to sleep thinking that God's okay with us just going through the mundane, keeping our faith to ourselves. Cause he's just not, he wants us to be sharing with others. That's the opposite of what God wants from us. He wants us to go out and live out our faith, to share our faith with others. That's why he calls us to go. And in that we're to be praying for one another. As I had not been in other D groups but I know my de-group, and I'm so thankful for this, is that as we go and our faith shares with others, man, each week, my D group we get together and we pray by name for God to move in our families, to save our kids, to save our coworkers. Man, we want our neighborhoods and our jobs and everything around us to come to know Jesus because we have this burden for them. And so we go out and we encourage one another and spur one another on to share our faith. And we do that because of number four and we're going to be winding down our time. Faith is available to everyone. Y'all, not everyone has access to the gospel, which is what we hope to see change through God's people going to the ends of the earth. But I love the picture that we see in Joshua chapter 2, that, God, um, that everyone is welcome to receive God, and he will go after his people. Rahab professes faith in God without ever interacting with the people of God. And what I don't wanna miss though, is that how Rahab came to faith. It's not typical, but it came from what seemed like an impossible situation. She seemed like an unlikely candidate who just heard rumblings about God. Her pro- being a prostitute made her one who was looked down upon and was at the bottom of the societal ladder. Even her house told us that she was an outcast because she was on the fringes of society. The city wall was where she was. Yet, in all of that, And we're a place where you're constantly on the outcast and you're not near to God or even have a chance of stumbling into someone who might be a follower of God. We see God do something beautiful. I've said it before. Before the foot of the spies touched the ground, God was already there. God pursues His people. He's willing to go to whatever lengths to bring them into His family so that He showed her His power, His majesty, and she came to know His faith came to profess faith through those things. And even once the spies were there, they were able to call upon God's mercy through his people. Now, this is the same God that we have here today. He does what seems like impossible things. He comes and he saves the outcast and the broken and the wandering and the weary and weak. And he brings them into the family of God. And he doesn't just bring them in, but no, he heals them. He restores them and sends them back out into a broken world. That's what we want to be about here in New City. But do we believe that he's still able to do these things like bring a pagan prostitute into his family and redeem her and restore her because that's what he did. He didn't just bring her out of Jericho. What he did is he eventually brought her into the nation of God. And in that he didn't just stop there, but then he made her a part of the lineage of David. She was was the great-great-grandmother of King David. That's crazy, y'all. God is doing these type of things. Do we see God like this? That he's the God who isn't after the put together and the polished. No, God is the one who sent his son not to save the righteous, but the unrighteous. He came and dined with sinners and tax collectors. He interacted with the outcast and the unclean. This is who God is. Jesus embodied this. He himself, Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost. It is God who delights to save those who realize their need for him. And that's why I say that faith is available for everyone because everyone is in need of this saving faith. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And then Romans 6, 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So... All of us are sinners, and what that earns us is death forever separated from God. That's, that's just the reality we live in, but faith is available to everyone because I love the second half of Romans six y'all. Y'all, I love it because what we see is the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Y'all, what God gives us through Jesus is a chance to spend eternity with him. How how do we get this? How do we come into the family of God? We simply accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We see him as the one who paid the penalty for our sin. He went and lived the perfect life and died the criminal's death on a cross. And he took the punishment for all of our sin, our past, present, and future. He rose three days later showing that he defeated sin and death. And so we can now say boldly and confidently that there is no condemnation for those who trust in Christ. We can rejoice in knowing that if we believe in Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us, we are welcomed into the family of God. No questions asked. Y'all, this is beautiful. And you may be like, hey, John, I'm you know, tracking with you, but how in the world does that wrap up Joshua 2 for us? And I'm with you, I get it. And this is where I love, man, just the full story of scripture, all right? Because what we see happening in Joshua 2 is just a snapshot of the goodness of God. Because when the spies left, they gave Rahab a scarlet thread or cord to tie and identify herself and where she was with the nation of Israel. She was a friend of them. For when they came, they'd be able to see and see that scarlet cord and they would then bring her to safety. And I don't want to put too much weight on the color of a cord, okay? But scripture is divinely inspired. God put it there and so I'm gonna run with it for just a minute because symbolism's a thing, y'all. Okay? But my mind goes back to Exodus 12. That's where, like, really quickly we jump back, and that's where the 10 plagues of Egypt is happening. God's calling Pharaoh to let his people go, and we find ourselves at the 10th plague where God's like, I'm going to wipe away all the firstborns in the, in the land. And he goes to his people and says, go sacrifice a lamb. Put that blood over the doorpost, and when I come and to take out all the firstborns, I will pass over because I see uh, the sign, the scarlet sign that you are with me, and I'll keep you safe. And he does that. God does that. And so what we see in Rahab 2, is that Joshua ties that scarlet cord in her window and it remains there in Joshua, and when they come in Joshua 6, and she's welcomed into the people of God. From there, scripture shows us that Rahab was the great, great brother of uh, King David, who just so happened uh, to be a whole bunch of greats leading all the way up to Jesus. She was welcomed not only into the family of God, but into the lineage of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus, y'all. This is what God is doing and through Jesus coming. We see him pay the penalty for our sin on the cross, his crimson, scarlet blood, washing us white as snow. Y'all I can't make this stuff up. And through this, we see Jesus come and pay the penalty for our sin, his crimson, scarlet blood, new city church. No one I'm here to tell you, no one is too far out of the reach of God. No matter what you're doing, no matter where you're at, Man, I see that there's this beautiful thing happening in Joshua 2 that we can apply to us today. Is that there is no distinction about being a part of the people of God. It wasn't belonging to the right tribe, the right people group. It wasn't those things that made her faith genuine. No, what made her faith genuine, what made her a part of the people of God was just believing and trusting in God. And the same's true today. Your resume doesn't matter. Your bank account doesn't matter. Your past doesn't matter. In all of those things, no one is too far that God can't reach them. You are not too far from God. No one's too messed up that God can't restore you. Hear that this morning. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that you're too far gone. No, God can go wherever he needs to go to pursue his people. And God just calls us, each and every one of us, to daily believe and trust in Him. Y'all, we are saved by grace, through faith, not so that no one may boast, but if we boast, we boast in the Lord. And so I pray that each and every one of us, man, we live out this faith boldly and courageously for God in His kingdom. Let's pray together. God, I'm thankful for You and what You have done for us. I'm thankful that we get to celebrate your goodness this morning, celebrate what you've done for us. But as we wrestle with your word and, and how you're calling us to live our lives, Lord, I pray that we continue to just trust in you, to trust in your goodness and what you're doing in our lives. And so God, let us lean on you. Let us place our faith in you. It's by the power of your name, Lord. So, your name we pray, amen.